the faster we can grow our young stock and the cleaner feed we can offer them in terms of it having less worm larvae on it, the better they're going to do from a worm perspective and the quicker they'll develop that immunity. New Zealand sheep and beef farmers rank resistance of parasites to drench as one of their major animal production challenges. We simply can't drench our way out of drench resistance. So welcome to the Parasite Chronicles. This is your chance to hear firsthand on how New Zealand farmers have embraced a low or reduced drench route. So make sure listening to this series is your action plan on being wiser to those worm burdens on farm. I'm Sarah Perriam Lamb. I'll be your host taking you across the country to meet sheep and beef farmers with a range of farm sizes and systems to learn how you too can use management tools to create robust animals in the face of parasite pressures. Well, on this episode, we welcome someone known to many of our listeners, Ginny Dudunsky, to the Parasite Chronicles. Ginny is the program manager for Wormwise, which you may not know is a partnership between Beef and Lamb New Zealand, Dairy NZ, Deer Industry New Zealand, Ministry for Primary Industries, and Animal Plant Health New Zealand, as well as the New Zealand Veterinary Association, a mighty partnership that Wormwise is there to help provide farmers with the latest knowledge and techniques to effectively and sustainably manage worms and of course minimise those drench resistance issues all in aid of lifting productivity and the welfare of our livestock. As well as being the Wormwise Program Manager, Ginny also has a consultancy business and spends half her time on farm providing advice to farmers all around the country. We're going to talk now to Ginny about parasites and drench resistance but also the importance of feeding your animals well and the impact on animal health in general. Hey Ginny, where are you joining us today? on this podcast. Oh, so very gratefully just joining you from my home in the central North Island. I'm not always good at organising my travel. Um, and last week I started in the Waikato, then had to go to Wellington and then finished the week in um, Whanganui. So um, it's good just to have a week at home catching up on things in the office. Thanks. <laughs> I can absolutely understand that uh, myself as well. And it's awesome that you do have incredible touch points right across the country, hence why a lot of farmers do uh, know of you and those Wormwise workshops. So what are those main effects? Let's go right back to the effect of these internal parasites on sheep. What is it doing to our livestock? Yeah, um, parasites and the effect on livestock. I mean, it can be anything from undetectable in the example of, say, a nice big fat beef cow running around the hills. You know, she'll she'll have parasites on board, but you won't even know. She'll be fat as a seal, plenty of grass to eat, rearing a calf. And, um, you know, those those well-fed beef cows, uh, parasites are just not an issue to them. Um, you could say the same generally about uh, well-fed, well, well healthy ewes as well. But then obviously at the other end of the spectrum, you know, a a poorly fed young animal calf or lamb, weaned calf or lamb on um, feed that is very contaminated with worms is, is going to be suffering greatly. So it's the it's a bit of a spectrum for sure. And the more that we can um, design our systems that they are not challenging the animals so much, um, I think we, we can get a very long way with that. What I think though, a lot of people maybe don't understand um, in terms of fundamentals is the the things we see, the reduced appetite, the lack of growth, the scouring, the you know physically sick animals in, in our young stock, um, they're actually a consequence mostly of the animal's reaction to the parasites. It's, you know, people often think of, 
of um, young animals as having a big belly full of worms and we need to remove them with a drench because those worms are attacking the animal, you know, and the worms are just sort of there trying to live their life. Um, and, and yes, they take some nutrients um, from the animal, but the big, big effect is the developing immune response of those young animals. So um, the scouring we see, that's fluid being secreted into the gut to try and expel the worms, um, the lack of growth, the animals diverting a lot of protein towards an immune reaction to get rid of the worms and things that we might not see with our eyes, but that have been measured in research are that parasitized young animals will actually take less bites of food in a day. Um, they'll walk less, they'll actually cud less as well, like their whole digestion is more inefficient and they'll spend more time just either mooching around or sitting down when they're parasitized. So there's this great big um, cascade of, of responses going on within the animal that aren't, they're not directly caused by the worms, they're the animal's reaction to the worms. So the less, the less worms we can feed them every day, the less of a reaction you get. That might be a good basic way of describing it. Yeah, it's really interesting because we've got a drench resistance problem within our flock, but those new animals coming through, those fresh immunities, that productivity effect over time of just a slow burn on their ability, their immunity to, to uh, combat worms must be a real underlying issue as well, potentially? Yeah, so there's sort of a tipping point. I mean, young, very young animals, you know, lambs and calves in their first weeks of age are getting plenty of milk from mum. They'll be nibbling at grass, but their body at that stage doesn't even notice or, or react to the worms that are coming in. Um, they don't try to even develop an immune response when they're really little. So that is why we get our highest lamb growth rates in those early weeks. Not only is because of the high, high milk production, um, you know, the lambs are just getting an awesome source of nutrition. But um, as the weeks go by, they start, their system starts to recognize that these things are foreign invaders. And as each week goes by, the the system tries to put more resources towards dealing with these things. And, and the development of that immunity um, probably takes, you know, the response might start any time from about 10 weeks of age. And if, if an animal's well grown, it might be complete by a year of age, but you've got all these months in between where, you know, the animal's trying to fight the parasite and, and probably isn't doing a very good job to start with. That said, we do know from some fabulous research, Lincoln research we've got, that um, if we can feed our young animals just a very low trickle dose of parasites, um, they actually develop immunity at a very good rate and will continue to grow at the same speed as animals that are completely unparasitized. Um, the bother there is actually trying to replicate that in a farm system by creating feed that's clean enough to do that. So, you know, in most systems, it's difficult to provide forage for our young animals that's completely worm free or, or only got that very low trickle dose of worms. And that would be something like a, a summer forage crop that had already been through sort of a pasture renewal process. So any of those inputs where you're turning the soil over and re-sowing, um, you kill off a whole lot of worm larvae and you've got a, a very much cleaner feed there. So I guess the faster we can grow our young stock and the cleaner feed we can offer them in terms of it having less worm larvae on it, the better they're going to do from a worm perspective and the quicker they'll develop that immunity. The reason I'm thinking about that is, uh, you know, obviously getting lambs off mum is the, the beneficial to that. Uh, but at the same time, when we're looking at some climatic challenges coming at us, it's not going to be that easy, especially going into quite a hard spring and then summer. 
Oh, yeah, and there's always something, right? Like I think a lot of you flocks this year are probably better set up than they've ever been in terms of body condition. So that drives a whole lot of good lactation and lamb growth early on. Um, but if then the stuff that's coming up under those ewes and lambs isn't nice and green and full of clover and, and continuing to grow and, and be of a high enough height that the lambs have got easy pickings for that clover, then, you know, that's where everything starts to slow down. And there's just every season, there seems to be something else that, that makes it more difficult to achieve all of those aims all at once. And while your condition might be great this year, those things you refer to are going to be a challenge, especially on the East Coast as it dries out. So I think that is something most flocks are sort of in advance of docking or tailing at the moment. Um, starting to think about from from docking or tailing onwards, my lambs every day are actually ingesting less milk. Um, and every day that goes by, mum is more a source of company and also competition for the good feed um, that the lambs need to be eating. So the more we can think about what can we do here to give mobs a bit more space, um, is uh, starting some sort of rotation or shuffle grazing system appropriate to offer more fresh feed? Um, are there paddocks that there are other stock classes into that we can open up into? Just really starting to think about the fundamental of offering lambs a fresh pick of green, preferably legume dominant feed every day um, after docking and tailing and how can we, within our system, how can we facilitate that? I'm really interested in the difference of making those drenched decisions between uh, replacements, capital stock and trading stock with climatic changes and your advice to farmers. Both classes of stock, um, going back to what I said about getting immune to worms, um, both classes of stock need to need to be growing as fast as, as we can. But, you know, on some farms, if they're not mating um, their females until they're tūruths, those ones might be able to take a different road in terms of growth track. And those, those male lambs or, or trade lambs need to grow faster. Simply just drenching them regularly, though, without attention to the feed that they're on, um, that's only only going to get you so far in terms of growth, right? So, yeah, the, the, and the dre- if, if we're talking about drench choice, and we might come to that in a minute, but um, if we're talking about drench choice, you really need to be choosing the most effective drench. I see some, some compromises being made out on farms at the moment, which might be what you were referring to in terms of, oh, we'll use the expensive drench on the trade lambs and then we'll just use the, the leaky old drench that doesn't work very well on the ewe lambs. But man, when you do that, like you are intentionally every month leaving behind a bunch of resistant worms in those animals that you are treating with the cheaper drench that isn't working so well. Um, and you're just continuing to set the farm up for more parasites in the autumn. And the parasites that you're setting up for the autumn are resistant ones. So I'm not not happy with that advice um, in terms of using a cheaper drench that we know is failing. That's a really big topic um, and it's also a farm by farm topic so I'm very wary of sound bites from things like this but in general one of the rules especially when you've diagnosed um, combination drench resistance on your farm one of the rules to begin with anyway is that you really should use the most effective drenches you've got available, which typically for that first season or a bit more is going to be the novel drenches and then get some really good advice about how you're going to manage your way out of it. 
Yeah, absolutely. You're so right with regards to the advice that you hear on on this podcast, uh, specifically to your farm, is the most important because your level of drench resistance could be at a different point to make those those conscious choices as well. Uh, so, with regards to making those trade off decisions, which a lot of our sheep and beef farmers are having to make because of the cost of input and the cost of where commodities are at, what would be your key tips around? how to actually make good choices if you are forced to be making trade-offs on cost. Yeah, I think if you're making trade-offs on cost, I think you really need to do your sums pretty carefully in terms of why am I, if, if I'm stuck in a system where I've got a whole bunch of lambs that aren't growing very well on contaminated feed and I think I'm trapped into having to use a cheap drench that's doing a lot of leakage, i.e. you know, it might be leaving 30%, 50% of worms behind, um, why are those lambs on the farm? Um, what are they doing to you versus what are they doing for you? Um, those budgets around, um, you know, I need $120 per lamb and I totally get it. You know, it might be costing you 70, 80, 90 bucks to, to produce a lamb. This is just really, really tough stuff because the, it's really easy to say, sell all your lambs at weaning. But actually, you know, that farms are going to make a loss doing that. Um, but on the other hand, year on year on year of continuing to use failing drenches, we've got lambs that don't grow that we still end up then needing to sell store in the autumn because they haven't hit targets. We've pinched a whole lot of feed from our ewes that are then too light, come through, don't grow lambs that are as good. At some point there needs to be a circuit breaker and these are difficult conversations and I totally appreciate that there are so many other pressures on at the moment, but I think you do need to start being realistic if you're in a situation where you've got the common combination drenches failing. You really need to, to have some serious thought about lamb marketing dates rather than drench choice. For farms with a bit more land resource in terms of flexibility, definitely wild crops have become expensive to put in. I mean, they've always been expensive, but they're even more expensive ever been. Um, they are just gold in terms of providing clean feed and getting a bunch of lambs onto an area where you know they're going to grow. And also on those crops, you shouldn't need to do as much drenching. So the, the basic kind of gross margins that you do on crops in terms of it costs me $1,000 to put the crop in a hectare and then I'm only going to make whatever off it and the gross margin doesn't stack up. Um, when your lambs won't grow on the other parts of the farm because your drenches are failing, um, yeah, that's a hard one to bring into a gross margin equation, but it often makes crops to the whole farm system uh, very worthwhile. A hundred percent. And I really want to get on to feeding animals better, which is an absolute uh, thing I'm so passionate about. But it, on that long-term productivity check, if we're looking at our short-term P&Ls versus our long-term P&Ls and making those decisions, please can you um, hark home the long-term impact of the strength resistance if we don't get this right on our long-term productivity? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing this already, right? around the country and particularly in the North Island where probably these farms with triple resistance um, that it all kicked off up here really. That cost as I mentioned to the ewe flock in terms of, of not being able to get weight back on them over the summer um, and them going to the ram lighter than they should be, not hitting pre-winter feed targets, um, then not feeding the ewes the way they need to be fed coming into lambing. Like that whole thing is, it's a real issue in our hill country anyway without worms. But once we've got worms that that are surviving our drenches and, and impacting um, lamb growth, it's a really big deal. I guess the 
The opposite of that is what I see in the sheep dairy industry, <laughs> where you've got these animals on amazing feed um, and are these great big rangy things that, you know, our hill country farmers have terrible memories of the East Frisians and the Finns and things when they first came into New Zealand. And, you know, you talk about dairy sheep and they just pale. Oh my God, you know, I just want to die. But, you know, the way those animals are able to be fed on those dairy farms, the pasture height that they graze at, um, the residuals they leave behind, totally accept that they're producing a product that's of higher value so they can also afford supplement. But when I see the performance of those dairy sheep, the condition that they manage to keep on them, which is generally very, very good. And those those dairy sheep really don't need any treatment for parasites because they're so well fed. You know, they're kind of the opposite end of the scale. Yeah, you know, feeding is everything. And I guess it's those two key things. It's the condition on the ewes and it's for winter cold areas anyway. It's that um, feed going into winter. You're never going to have more feed coming out of winter than you had going in. Um, so you've got to hit that pre-winter target. And, you know, there's a good reason why dairy farms have a, a pre-winter target of two or two and a half thousand kilos of dry matter. <laughs> um, and our sheep sheep farms, you know, it might be slightly less than that. But, um, yeah, if we go into winter with short pasture, we'll come out with short pasture and we'll get what we've always got. A hundred percent. And there is a lot to be said from what we can learn from the dairy industry around grazing management and sheep and beef. And you mentioned there around uh, clean crops as well and, and renewal of pasture. Another thing yet that's under the spotlight for cost and in going into the season as well. So therefore making those right pasture renewal and grazing management decisions, what are some key areas that do actually have an impact on worms and parasites? Yeah, okay. So, um, I mean, first the, the pasture renewal one, I mean, that's, that's a, a no-brainer in terms of creating areas of clean feed that you can then wean lambs onto. And, you know, there's probably an agronomist that could answer that question a lot better than me. Um, in terms of grazing management, though, um, you know, within your own system, our weaned lambs um, or, you know, if, if we're a, a, a cattle finisher, um, those 100 kilo calves, you know, they're the most susceptible um, animals that, that we've got. Um, and just thinking about how we can provide them with, better quality uh, feed that's got less worms on it, legume dominant. Um, so f- like for big hill country properties, they're, they're often weaning, I mean, they're lambing over the whole farm. Um, so it's difficult to sort of set up an area that has been grazed by cattle for many months beforehand to provide clean feed. Um, but if you can, um, that's really valuable. And I guess then, you know, in those in those more sort of extensive hill country systems, it's it's how you set your rotations up. Some of the big times where I've seen the wheels fall off on hill country farms is where the lambs are weaned onto their own area and then they've sort of gone round and round and round on this slightly better area of country because it's perceived that there's better feed there, the lambs will do better. But obviously every month that they're there and getting drenched, if the drench isn't working, which often isn't, um, then you're building up not only worms but drench resistant worms um, between each drench and then all of a sudden you know it sort of hits like a wave in April or May and we've got these sick lambs with um, resistant worms in them so on those hill country systems having the lambs out in front of all the other stock classes and just going around on a on a big rotation um, picking the clover and the legumes and the other nice bits and pieces out of the paddocks as they go um, and then cleaning up behind with ewes and cattle I think that's that's the best solution there um, rather than having lambs go round and round on their own little area. Yeah. 
There's actually a lot to be said, isn't there? If you are drenching your lambs, treat your rotations like they haven't been drenched at all as you're moving them around. Some fantastic advice there. Interesting also too, in a previous Parasite Chronicles podcast, Ginny, we spoke to Dave McKenzie in the North Canterbury. We, we spoke to him about his, his, his stocking rate and integration of more cattle versus sheep. And so therefore, are you starting to see some of that behaviour change across the country? Um, yeah, that's a really big one. Um, I mean, I've seen whole farm systems change to becoming cattle dominant now because the, the sheep worms are getting too difficult to manage. That said, you know, there are large areas of our hill country where it's not practical to run high numbers of cattle. But I have heard Dave Lethwick say that, you know, I've never seen a farm where if the cattle ratio is 50% or more, I've never seen a farm where they have a problem managing the parasites in their sheep. Um, and I do think that's very, very true. The more cattle you can have in the system, a sheep's worst enemy is another sheep, right? <laughs> um, so the more cattle you can have in a system, the more flex you've got in terms of being able to provide the sheep with cleaner grazing. Yeah, for sure. But it, it, admitting that it's not always practical on, on big steep hills to do that. Yeah, 100%. And there's opportunities that lie there, but at the same time, using the best tools that we have in front of us, if you are struggling with parasite management, what's your parting three top tips to keep front of mind for those who are struggling? Ah, parting three. I think I'm, I'm interested that you said three, because three is the thing I've been thinking about. Um, and I think there's sort of three pillars to parasite management, if you like. Certainly, that the, we've talked a lot about having young stock on on clean, good quality feed. Um, when they when they're doing that, they're going to grow faster and need less drenching. The second one is very well fed, robust, healthy mixed age ewes or or adult animals um, so that they can act as vacuum cleaners in your system. A skinny underfed ewe is not a good vacuum cleaner of worms. Um, she, she may well become quite wormy herself because of the pressure that she's under. But ewes that have got enough space are run at the correct stocking rate and fed appropriately at the key times of year, they will take in a lot more worms than they put out. So they're good vacuum cleaners, but we've got to run them right. And so that's all that best practice stuff around ewe management, which oh, I guess what we end up with more lambs and faster growing lambs and, and better performance just for doing that anyway even if we're not doing it because of worms um, and then number three is use the most effective drench it does not make sense to be regularly using a drench that you know is failing and I guess you know a lot of people listening to this podcast may not actually know the drench efficacy on their farm um, so a great first step this season would be whichever the first drench is that you do that might be a weaning drench or it might be a pre-weaning drench um, 10 days after that, collect some fresh faecal samples from those lambs, um, take them and get them tested for a faecal egg count. Um, and if the drench is working well, there shouldn't be any eggs there. If, if there are eggs present, then that's the start of a conversation with your animal health advisor about where to from here. But continuing to use a failing drench is more likely to set you up for parasite problems and resistant parasite problems in the autumn. So that's the three things. Really well-fed breeding stock, clean feed as we can for young stock and use the most effective drench. And I'm going to put a fourth one in and get along to a beef and lamb wormwise workshop locally wherever you are around the country. Awesome, thank you. <laughs> Ginny, thank you so much for the wonderful work that you do. It's absolutely invaluable to our sheep industry um, and, uh, and, and of course the cattle across the country struggling with drench resistance issues. It's one of the biggest issues of our farming generation and uh, something that I know so many that are listening are so grateful for the amazing advice that they've just listened to. So thank you very, very much. 
We hope this has been helpful for you and realise there is no one-size-fits-all approach, but careful ongoing monitoring, feeding, stock well and using other parasite management practices will be important. As well as, of course, head along to Beef and Lamb New Zealand's Knowledge Hub or wormwise.co.nz for more information. Make sure to check out all our other episodes in this series as well. Thanks for listening.